0: you turn it for good we thank you lord that since you are for us who can be against us we thank you lord for all that you have done all that you are doing not only for us but in us what you desire to do through us to reach out to a lost and a dying world those who are in darkness that we bring light into their situation a revelation of who you are and what you've done for them, that they might be delivered out of that place. Even now you're working, God. Even now you're working, preparing a place and a time for even your people to arrive in that place and time to share your deliverance. You are already at work turning things around on behalf of those we don't even know yet but you are preparing a place that if we'll yield to you, if we'll obey you, we'll come upon that place and that time of what you've already ordained for turnaround, for someone who's trapped in the strategy of the enemy, that we might be bearers of the light. We might bring the power of God to bring deliverance and have them loosed from the strategy of the enemy, that they might be free to understand your goodness and make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. And see that you have already changed everything, that you've redeemed their life, that you've already paid the price so that they could participate in everything that you've provided. We thank you, Lord, that you are preparing us for that very place that you prepared for us, that we truly might arrive at that place, not be overwhelmed or occupied by it, but we will occupy it. We'll live in it to the full. We'll experience life to the full. We'll understand who we are in you and you in us to carry your presence wherever we go. Knowing that it's you, it's by that presence that there's healing, deliverance, freedom. That you receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. So we do thank you. We do worship you. We do magnify you, God, for all that you're doing. Not only for us, but through us. We thank you for souls saved into the kingdom of God as harvest time arrives, as we're bold to speak your word and stretch forth your hand, that there'll be the harvest of souls into the kingdom of God like we've never seen before, that which you are waiting for as the husbandman, the precious fruit of the earth. So we thank you even now you're dealing and stirring up things on the inside, you're awakening us to the day and the generation that we live in, that we'd no longer be asleep to those around us, but we'd awake and our eyes would be wide open to see that which you see, that we might perceive what you see and we might understand by hearing your word that we truly might be fully equipped for the day that is upon us and the day that is ahead of us. And so we thank you even tonight for utterance to speak as we ought to speak, God. Help us to fully turn our lives over to you in the way that would be well-pleasing to you. That us together with you would see the exploits that you have desired, that you've spoken of in your word. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for what is taking place, not right now. Not simply what will be, but what is right now. That we may lay hold of those things, even not yet seen by faith. We thank you that you are turning it around. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory and honor and praise for that which will be accomplished in every heart and every life by your word and your spirit. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Good evening church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. It's great to see you all be with you all I believe God has some great things for us tonight. Why don't you greet three or four people around you tell them that you're glad that they're here and then you can be seated. youth. You can be dismissed. Praise the Lord. Haha, uh-huh. Mark, is it okay to greet you? Yes, sir. I, I overhydrated, I got to go. Is the Lord? It's good to be with you all tonight. Glory to God! Great things are happening, aren't you glad for the worship team? Should give them a big hand. Amen. Just want to announce to you: four people in the last seven days have given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Not only through ministry, but really people personally sharing with Jesus Christ, uh, just out of their day, sharing with Jesus Christ, have led people to the Lord. And so uh, we all can do that. You know, we were talking the other day uh, uh, with someone and, and, uh, we were talking about this. We, we have had, uh, this in times past really as a, a, theme to our year. Uh, this year we, we have talked about, and certainly we probably need to make a, a reminder of it more often, but that you get three people on your heart, be praying for them every single day. Uh, and we see, you know, those people come to the Lord, but you know, really in, in all reality, we've done things, uh, each one reach one. And, uh, we were talking, somebody said, you know, uh, as I was praying, um, Just, you know, the reality, if we all just got one person saved, the church would double. Thank you for your enthusiasm. If we all just got one person saved. I mean, in 12 months, we possess within us the greatest thing in all the world, the very life of God, in the universe, in eternity. The greatest gift in all the world is on the inside of us. How hard can that be to share with someone? Praise the Lord. Some people, if they got a new football, they would share it with 20 people. Let's go play football, and they'd share their new football. Yet we find it difficult to share eternal life. Praise the Lord. So you know, if we just get that in our heart, I'm not chastising you. I'm just saying, wow, if we just got a hold of that, how many people could be saved? Amen. And so when we realize, well, yeah, but people like to play football. Uh, Well, they'll like eternal life once they figure out what that is. I mean, if you like it enough, they'll be convinced you like something enough. Maybe I should figure out what that is. So if we're not enjoying eternal life, then it's a little tough to share. But if we're enjoying it, praise the Lord. All right, we'll move on. Glory to God. Well, check out, uh, you know, your app. All the announcements are on your app and, um, you know, things that are coming up. Men, uh, if you're interested in going, uh, we only have uh, a little over a week uh, to men's call to arm, so you can get involved in that. And then there's a ladies' self-defense class coming up for ladies and teenage girls, and so uh, you want to find out about that. And then our uh, uh, lighting class. Uh, You can come and help us light up the property uh, for Christmas. And so uh, that's the help. Get it all lit up on uh, November 12th. And then uh, whenever Thanksgiving weekend, we'll do light up the night. And uh, you can bring people out to that property. Just all lights up. And uh, as Pastor Tasha said today, uh, you know, sometimes you just people, you say, I'm from New Creation Church. And uh, if you just say, you know, the one with the Christmas lights are right. right. Uh, yeah, Yeah, I know. I know that. And so, you know, sometimes people think, well, why do you do that? It's just a waste. Well, no, it's not a waste. It it comes out to that place. And if you're going to do something for Jesus, you might as well do it right. Right? Amen. Amen. And so uh, uh, we're just doing it to light up. You know, we are the light of the world. It just kind of signifies, you know, that. We're city set on a hill. We're up here on a hill with lights shining, celebrating Jesus. And so you can be a part of that, and it reaches out to people. So... Praise the Lord. If you weren't here this morning, weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you that opportunity to give. The Bible says as often as we have an opportunity to do good, especially to those of the household of faith. And so every opportunity that we have to enter into that exchange or our tithes that we bring, acknowledging our covenant that we have with God, it's really an honor. It's worship to God to honor him in that way. He says it's honoring to him, right? It's honoring to him. And sometimes we don't think about that, we're just thinking about what we have and don't have. But God knows that you put the hours of your day into that, that you, uh, the hours of your day, your life, your energy were spent in that. And so when you bring that to him, it's very honoring to God. Amen. And so we worship him in a time of giving. You know, uh, he said, you know, there's, there's one that scatters and increases more. That just makes sense if you're a farmer. Doesn't make sense if you just think it's it's mine and I can't let go of it. He says, but if you understood the whole concept that I've set up in the earth, says there's one that scatters uh, more and it receives increase. There's somebody who withholds more than is right, and it leads or tends to poverty. So lots of time people wondering why they don't have more. They're mad at people who, who uh, uh, you know have more who give. Uh, they're 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 upset when people talk about giving. But the Bible just says if you understood. There's a scattering, and because of seed time and harvest, it always increases, right? Not off the bat, you know, a good farmer doesn't scatter a seed and tomorrow go, well, this doesn't work, right? Right? He doesn't go plow the ground all up again because he sowed seed, you know, this morning and by the end of the week, he doesn't have a crop of corn. No, he understands the principle, but if you have different seed in different fields for every season that could harvest, you're constantly harvesting, right? And so if you're only, if you're only sowing for a time of need, then it's gone. You'll always just be sowing for a time of need. But if you're sowing, knowing that God's created increase so that not just when you have a time of need, but whenever there's a need, you have something to give. God has a pretty good plan. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we just appreciate you and uh, uh, your generosity. We believe, and, and really we pray for you that you'd have increase, Right? We pray for you that you'd experience God's blessing upon your life. On a daily basis, really, uh, we pray for you that you would be increasing in the knowledge of God. You'd be increasing. Your soul would be prospering because if you, as you prosper in your soul, your body's healthy and then you prosper in other things that you set your hand to. Amen? So it's always a great time that we get to worship God. So if you haven't already, if you make it out, check, make it out to, make it out to New Creation Church. If you can buy cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. And if you give them by text, it's up there. If you're watching online, you can go online. Again, we thank you so much for, you, for your generosity. We're able to do what we do and reach out. Souls being saved, missions going forth, a number of things happening, uh, uh, able to help people out. Uh, in times of need, so it's all because of your generosity, and we thank you for that. Amen. Father, we just thank you every time we have an opportunity to give. We thank you for that which you have set in the earth as a law, so that as we uh, enter into that place of your spiritual law, that we understand that there's sowing and reaping. And uh, there's an exchange that goes on uh, between our heart and your heart. We look at it in the natural, it seems like a physical substance and that's there. But the real exchange goes on between our understanding and our heart and how you exchange and and connect with your desire for our life to be prosperous and full. And so we just thank you for this opportunity to acknowledge you in our time of giving and receiving. We command the blessings of the word of God upon each and every one that you supply every need according to your riches in glory by Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and pass those buckets. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. A couple things I have in my heart today, and so uh, we'll we'll try to uh, just make good use of our time this evening. Galatians chapter 5. And verse 24, he says, and those who are Christ's, those who are Christ's, how many of you are Christ's? How many of you belong to him? He belongs to you. He says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And so we began to talk about this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, really concentrating on the spirit within. Again, there's there's some things that we may talk about coming up, uh, what we would refer to as the spirit upon or the anointing. But at the same time, the Bible says the anointing is in you. And so the spirit of God is there. In Colossians, it tells us, 127, that Paul is proclaiming the mystery hidden from the ages. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in other words, your expectation of seeing the glory of God, the splendor of God, right? The the, the weighty presence of God, having that in your life, the expectation of that comes when you know Christ is in you. And God wants to show forth his glory, his splendor, his presence, his ability, his power, not only to you, but through you. And many Christians don't even expect anything. Why? Because they think it's all out there somewhere else in heaven. After I leave this body, then, then it'll be great. When I, when I get out of this place, then it'll be great. But Jesus died so that the power of sin, that which separated us from God, in all of his goodness, in all of his provision, in all of his power, in all of his splendor, that which separated us, the power of it could be broken. And the only way that he could do it, through the blood of Jesus, wash us, cleanse us, because he's a holy God, set a situation where he could come and live in us, Even if everything's not perfect, he could live in us to create a transformation. Because prior to that, if he came to live in us, we'd be dead. Right? That much holiness in the presence of sin just knocks sin out. So it took the blood of Jesus and believing in that to cleanse us inwardly so that he could come in on the inside And dwell in us. Why? Because our spirit man was recreated without sin. So he could move on the inside of us to begin to work from the inside out. And totally transform our life that we might be Christ-like. That the very power of God might begin to not just be in us, but move through us. To then benefit those who don't yet know him. Right? So that they can come to know him. And so, we're working out, as we said, you know, uh, Philippians chapter 2 says, work out or carry out your salvation to the very end. Not a work of the flesh that you're working out, you're working to get this from the inside out of you. No, he says, just what's happened, just allow it to be carried out to its fruition, which what is its fruition? Christ's likeness. You know, if we're honest, sometimes the enemies put so many things in our mind that, uh, there's a little bit of doubt and fear when you talk about the end of its Christ-likeness. We'd like all the benefits, but we're not sure we want to live just like him. I'm not sure I want to put aside some of that stuff. But as we do and experience truly to the depth of our inner man, that Christ-likeness, there becomes a greater desire and willingness so he says if we carry that through the end the very next verse says that it's God who is at work in you both to bring a willingness and a doing a power to do of his good pleasure so if we keep him at arm's distance there will never be a willingness to rise to this point of Christ's likeness but the moment we let him in, into all of the goodness and the splendor, we're like, I'm, I'm desiring, first of all, to be more like you. And religion has said, forget it. You'll never be like him. But the Bible says he died for that very reason. Right? People just want to, it's easy to abdicate any responsibility when you say, well, it's just impossible. It's impossible to be like Jesus. Because Jesus was Jesus, after all. And Jesus was the Son of God. Well, if you've been born again, then it begs the question, who are you? You're Son of God. Exactly. Well, I'm not the Son. No, you're not the Son. You won't die for the sins of the world. He did that. But he did that so you and I could enter into sonship and live life even with sin around us, even with evil around us, that we can live with power and authority conducting our lives in relationship with God and having our relationship with God be more important, more uh, 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 setting the pace and the, the action of our life than sin. Because even many times as believers, sin in the way of this world sets the tone, the pace, and the action of our life more than our relationship with Jesus. But he wants our relationship with him to really set the tone and the pace and the action and the conduct of our life to be set because that relationship is more important. It's more valuable to us. So we conduct our lives from that place. So Paul said that. Paul said that in Romans chapter 6. He, he said, you know, right in Romans chapter 5 there, where, you know, he said that we'd reign in life with him, and they said, wow, this is amazing. He said, well, where sin abounded, grace is much more abound. In other words, if you, if you look at what he was writing there, he said sin had covered the whole earth. Because of Adam, sin had covered the whole earth. But because sin had covered the whole earth, God entered in and grace did much more abound. In other words, wherever sin was dominating, when Jesus came on the scene, grace abounded much more. But they took it in limited thinking and said, well, should we just go ahead and sin so grace should abound? He said, no, God forbid. Don't you know? And he went through the whole process of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And the identification that we have with that, that if he died and was buried and raised from the dead and will never die again, then likewise, spiritually, we died with him, we raised with him to a newness of life, and sin should no longer have dominion in our lives. Because we're not under the law, we're under grace. Then he said, or did you not know that as many of you as lend your members as instruments of unrighteousness will be again enslaved to that unrighteousness and sin. But if you lend your members over as instruments of righteousness to God, then that righteousness will enslave you or govern, govern you. So he's bringing that out. He's saying, since you got born again, don't be sinning just to say grace will abound. Grace already abounded to overcome sin so that when you raise from the dead, sin no longer dominates you, but the righteousness of God dominates our life, right? So where does that come? It comes from within, and so in Galatians here, as we've been looking at this, uh, he, he earlier he says, you know what? You're free now. You're free from sin, but don't use your freedom as an occasion to the flesh. Right? right. So in other words, as much as you are free to do stuff, you are also free not to. <laughs> There's just some stuff people want to say, well, I'm just free to do that. Well... You're not as free if it caused people to stumble because we live under the law of love. So we're just as free to say, no, even though I'm free to, I'm not going to because I'm free to say no so that you might be blessed and not stumble. It's a higher place to live, right? Not a grievous place to live. It's a higher place to live to say, I'm going to use my freedom, not for me, but for you. Come on, somebody give me an amen. Amen. I'm going to use my freedom because so, you know, even as believers are like, whoo, I'm free. I get to do what I want. But when we start to realize I want to be a blessing to someone else, I want to help someone else, I want to serve someone else, so now I use my freedom not for myself but for others. That's a good deal. So he goes on to to line out just so we're sure, just so we can be sure. He tells us, he said, now listen, if you've adopted this new spiritual life and you decide to live in it, you decide to walk in it, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. He didn't say maybe so, think so, hope so, uh, you know, oh, I'm hanging on and I'm trying my best. He said, no, if you make a decision to walk in the spirit and allow the spirit of God to dominate, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said, but understand this, the moment you make that decision, there will be a battle that goes on. The flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you desire. In other words, again, you've heard me say this, but it's good to remember on Wednesday. (laughs) On Sunday, you're like, are we going to learn anything else? Not until you get this clear through Wednesday." Once we get it from Sunday to Sunday, then we go on. Otherwise, we just have to keep working on it. Right? If I'm a baseball coach, we're hitting ground balls. Can't we do something else? Can't we get the bat? No, not until you get at least a certain number of ground balls. Why? Because you can hit all you want, but if the ball goes through your legs, we're still going to lose. So there's just certain fundamentals that you're going to have to get. And so this understanding of walking in the Spirit is certainly from a place of the inside transformation, not just all the outward things that go on. So he said, if you, if you live in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're contrary. So what's happening so we can understand it? Man, I'm going to go for God. On Sunday, I'm going to go for God. But on Wednesday, your flesh is, why are we going to go for God? I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock and pray. Why are you going to do that? We would rather sleep so we can stay up late at night and hang out with other people. Well, your flesh is going to try to keep your spirit from doing what it wants to. And then you're staying out late with people, then you feel bad, and you go to bed, it's like, we need to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Why? Because your spirit doesn't want you to stay up till late at night, just doing God knows whatever. It wants you developing your spirit. So they start working, and then we understand, I didn't even have this much controversy before I was born again. Yeah, because you were just going to hell, and your flesh was all right with it. And that's just the truth. Without Jesus, you were going to hell, and and the devil was glad, and he wasn't bothering you, and your flesh was content to run you right into the ground. And all of a sudden, when your spirit came alive unto God, it says, we're not going to allow this death of the flesh nature to continue to run you. And so you went, hmm. And in concept, it's like, that's where I'm going. But in application, it takes a willingness to be changed. Right, And it takes an understanding that now there's a life on the inside of me that is greater than my own. Now the life of God has taken over my life. The Spirit of God has come in to take over my life and change it. So it would be Christ-like. So he says, this is, uh, you know, from this point, we see all the works of the flesh, and, and, you know, for everyone who goes, wow, praise the Lord, check mark, you know, uh, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a fornicator, I, I don't even know about uncleanness, but I'm sure I'm not that, I'm not an idolater, I'm certainly not a sorcerer, I don't hate anybody, I'm not contentious, uh, jealous, I used to be, but I'm not anymore, because I got married, so I don't have to be jealous. Um, uh, I don't have that many outbursts of anger. I guess everybody does it, but not that big a deal. Selfish ambitions, dissensions. I don't even know what heresy is these days, so. He goes on, but you know what? He ends with this, and he says, and the like. So all those things you tried to not confess up to, he's like, you want to pay attention, and your flesh is like that. Well, I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as other people, so I'm pretty good. That's usually what our flesh will be. You've heard me say this before. We all contend with that. Well, you know, I might do some things wrong. I'm just being honest, just being honest. You know, some people are liars, but I am honest. I'm not perfect. Not perfect. I make mistakes. But at least I'm not as bad as some people. And you're proud of it. Now, if Christianity has come down to just not being as bad as somebody else, then I personally believe Christ died in vain. Because there's a better way to live than just not being as bad as somebody else. But putting Jesus as our standard and the Holy Spirit as the one to help us get there, now we can experience the life of God. And as we experience it, our whole salvation begins to be unveiled to us. The willingness to say, this is possible, God. Then he unveils things. If you're not willing, he's not going to unveil it to you. The greatest unveiling is in the word. And if you're like, well, I don't see it there. He says, well, then you have to put it to practice. And when you do, he starts to manifest more and more and more what he's caused you to be born again to be. The power over sin that he's ordained for you to walk in. The glory and the splendor of God and the experience of that the magnificence of the new birth we love to see miracle working power but yet so many times you know we've talked about this before four people got born again but if somebody was got up out of a wheelchair right now people would stand up in awe. and I understand that but which is greater which is more miraculous Actually, the new birth, Jesus said. So, we live in a miracle of God, the new birth, and how that comes about. So, this development, he says, so these things, uh, he lines out the flesh, but then in 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a lot of people want to put an S on there, the fruits of the Spirit. No, it's singular in nature. It is the life, the life, the product of the Spirit. Right? It is the life of the Spirit. All these are united, these characteristics unite into one product, a Christ like life. Right? They're not fruits over here that you get to choose from. If He's doing it, He's working all simultaneously and really from the source of the very dynamic or, or dominant characteristic of God, God is love. So he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's all dynamically unified yet broken down for us to get some understanding of the developmental process, right? Right. So the first thing he says is is love and that love of God. And Paul talks so much about the love of God and needing the love of God and understanding the love of God to the depth that he said nothing in this world, not famine, not peril, not nakedness, not sword. He said, listen, it doesn't matter what the financial condition of the world is. It doesn't matter if there's a famine in the land. It doesn't matter if there's drought. Amazingly enough, they didn't even have cars back then, but they still had famine How'd that happen? Because there was drought. How'd that happen? Since there couldn't have been global warming. Come on, people, the devil just wants us to forget things. Paul said there's famine. There's famine and there's stuff that happens in every generation. He said, but none of it. Not persecution, not famine, not peril that comes. Nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Not persecution, not not uh, people against me. He says this, he says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Which means that somebody is probably going to come against you. You know, I know there's a number of people in here you feel called to some area of ministry. I'm telling you, get into the Bible and study the love of God. If you think when you get into ministry, more people are going to like you, you are, you're misled. Personal experience, Personal experience. I was just going to go into that for just for a moment. Because, you know, everybody has their world, but when you get into ministry, it gets a lot bigger. And for the number of people who have dissed you, if you're in ministry, hundreds of people diss pastors and in the ministry. You know, I was having this, it wasn't really a, a pleasant conversation. Somebody got, found me and, and started to message me a lot of stuff. It wasn't encouraging my day, let's just say that. And so, you know, I was just doing my best to just respond in love. I was just continuing to just Say, you know what? I didn't know where it was coming from, what the deal was. All of a sudden there was a long pause. I was like, Praise the Lord. Maybe they went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, ping, here it comes again. I was like, And they said, just watching God TV. The minister on there said, There's more sheep that attack shepherds than shepherds ever attack sheep. Sorry, just struggling. right? So it's easy to start attacking and think it's all but, right? So Paul said it. Jesus said it. Jesus described an extravagant love, to love those who hate you, to pray for those who despitefully use and persecute you. Was he just telling us to do it or did he know he himself had to experience that kind of love to go to the cross for us? When Paul said that, he knew that he was being persecuted. There's something about that life of Jesus that knows we're going to encounter things with people. And it's not all going to be rosy. Not everybody is going to be at the same level or the same understanding or the same personality or the same wants and likes and dislikes. We're not all there. In the body, we're not there. Let alone in the world, we're not there. How do we maintain an openness for relationship and a place where we can minister to people, it's by the love of God. It's by the love of God. Jesus died for the people who crucified him. Right? And so sometimes, you know, as you just remain in love, things turn around. But, you know, sometimes we just, you know, we see this. We, we don't want to be culprit of this, although we probably all have been. Um, and I'm just throwing, you know, everybody in one lump sum, so maybe not. But, you know, often it's, it's always funny to me how people want to come and say, you know, those church people judge people. And then they'll start a whole rant judging church people. Well, where does that come from? Don't know how to love. Right? So we exchange reviling for reviling, evil for evil, railing for railing. He says, but when we get the love of God, we don't have to lash back. Right? So anybody who's there, praise the Lord. We're still working on it on this end. Praise the Lord. Sometimes it's difficult. Praise the Lord. You know, I don't like social media that much, text that much, but I can tell you one thing. At least I have time to pause and think about it. That's beneficial for me. Some people just like, they think about it, it makes them more. For me, I can go, okay, I I know how I want to answer this. How might I answer this, God? What would Jesus do? Can't answer that. We didn't have social media in my day. So... (laughs) Praise the Lord. It's just walking in love. Amen? So he says joy. Where does the wellspring of joy come from? It comes from knowing the love of Christ. The wellspring of joy comes from knowing the love of Christ. So if you don't know the love of Christ, it's tough to have God joy. I like that song when you start to understand it. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me so the world can't take it away, right? So we're not vulnerable. We're not uh, at, at the, the um, I can't find the word anyway. We're not at the mercy of whatever happens in our day and how other people act. We have joy because God loved us. We have joy, the joy of our salvation, So if we're reminded, no matter how bad it seems, instead of letting the devil win and say, well, uh, God, if you love me, if you love me, this wouldn't be happening. If you love me, why are these people acting this way? If you love me... Well, because there's a devil out there. Instead of saying, I know exactly why this is happening, so I'm so thankful that you love me. When it seems like everybody else doesn't love me, you love me. You died for me. You saved my life from destruction. And so all of a sudden, you just start reciting that. Joy will start to spring up, and that joy starts to strengthen you when pressure comes, when the idea that, that everybody's against you, and you all of a sudden realize, well, everybody can be against me, but God's for me. And so if God's for me, nobody, can successfully be against me, right? If God's on my side, why would I fear what man can do to me? I have the realization God loves me. It springs forth joy. And when you have that kind of joy springing up in your life because of salvation and the love of God, now there's a peace. There's a peace that we get to walk in. See, he's just transforming us. There's got to be an understanding, right? We can go over it a 100 different ways, but again, next week, we could go over it different ways because it's so multifaceted, so about the time you're like, I got that, the enemy will throw a curveball at you, and you're like, wow. But God wants us to keep knowing, and the Holy Spirit's right there to teach us what that is and why that is and why that came to steal your joy. The enemy knows the joy of the Lord is your strength. He wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And he knows there's a strengthening in joy, so he's always working against your joy to steal your joy, to rob you of peace. Why? Because there's something about that life that he's come to destroy. The enemy's come. Why do you think there's such anxiety in the world? Why do you think there's such lack of joy in the world? Why do you think that, that selfishness is rampant in the world? That's, he's the God of this world. He's conducting the course of this world, the fads of the day. But we step out, we've been sanctified, we're different. He's against that kind of life. That's why when we say, I want to live that life, he's against it. But if we say, no, you can't do anything about that. My life has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. I'm allowing the Spirit of God to begin to produce a new kind of life and a new quality of life because I know that he loves me and I rest on that he loves me. I go before him and I stand in his presence because he loves me. And when I see that joy starts to come to my heart and there's a peace that I have that passes all understanding. And it guards my heart and my mind. Praise the Lord. And then he goes on to say this. He says, long-suffering. Long-suffering. Oh, my gosh. That's a rough rough one. Nobody likes long-suffering or patience. That's a great (laughs) Nobody likes suffering at all. But praise the Lord. Long-suffering, it's a Greek word, makrothumia and it means this, or it speaks of steadfastness of soul under provocation. Steadfastness of soul under provocation. It includes the idea of forbearance and patient endurance of wrong under ill treatment without anger or thought of revenge.
1: Hmm.
0: I'll read that again, since you all. It's the Greek word, makrothumia, which speaks of the steadfastness of the soul under provocation. It includes the idea of forbearance and patient endurance of wrong under ill treatment. Without anger or thought of revenge. So, you know, many of you know the story of Mrs. Wigglesworth. We rarely hear of Mrs. Wigglesworth because Smith raised like 20-some people from the dead. Great minister of the gospel, great minister of faith. But before he gave his life to Jesus, he was an angry person. And so Mrs. Wigglesworth, as the story goes, I never met her, but as the story goes, she would get up and go to church or go to evening church, and Smith would lock her out because he was angry she went to church. And she would sleep on the front porch. This is in England. She would sleep on the front porch, and he would open the door in the morning, and she would wake up, and she would say, Good morning, Smith. What can I get you for breakfast? Wow. And I know everybody's like, Looking at their husband, don't you even think about it. (laughs) And see, there's a lot of people who say, I would never do that. But don't expect your husband to be a Smith Wigglesworth either. Right. See, we want the benefits, but it always takes allowing the Spirit of God to develop a Christ-likeness in us. Her long-suffering allowed him to see the character of God. He gave his life to Jesus 100%. Not forced to. Not made to, but loved into it by a wife with long-suffering. Right, under provocation. Turned his life around. Saw many people saved, brought into the kingdom of God. Powerful ministry of miracles and deliverance. Twenty-some people raised from the dead. Whew, man, I want to be like Smith Wigglesworth. Well, you might not get there without a Mrs. Wigglesworth right? Say, I, I wish the people around me would change, be more Christ-like. It might take a little bit of Mrs. Wigglesworth, long-suffering for all of us. I know, mine's reeling. I'm not doing that, God. No way. But for every single person, it's different. But when you say no way, because, wow, that's just extreme, saying no way limits right there the spirit from developing it in you. See, because this is where our mind is at. We don't know, wish we could call her right now, get her on the line and ask her. But you know what? She may have never gotten angry one moment. She may have never, ever felt mistreated. How can that be? Because the spirit of God Brought forth long suffering in her Christ likeness, and to her, it shouldn't have been any different. She wasn't a victim of her husband, she was helping him know the love of Jesus Christ. Right? So, the enemy always tries to make us the victim, and how hard is it going to be to step into this Christ-like life when we allow the grace of God that empowers us and causes us to not only will to do it, desire, but gives us the power to do it, our whole outlook begins to change. But as long as we're resistant to becoming more Christ-like, because what that might mean to us, not having our way, we limit the development of our human spirit. That's good. That's good. Praise the Lord. And really, you know, for most of us, I'll, I'll speak of myself. We're working on the love, joy, peace since he put it in order. We're not even really anticipating we're going to have to get to much long-suffering. Like, if the love, joy, and peace takes long enough, Jesus will come back, and I won't ever have to be long-suffering. But remember what I said, that really, this is all, he's working it all simultaneously. And the change that we can see in people's lives through long-suffering is powerful. So... I don't want to take too much time here. Uh, I already have taken more than I thought. But turn over to James chapter 1. I want to use this aspect of of this patient endurance because it's always what God is doing. It, is, it produces something. Something in us begins to produce more and more and more. But again, you can look it up. There's a number of... Uh, scriptures if you want to study and begin to dive into this that you might understand more so God can develop more there's a number of scriptures just go into your concordance look up steadfastness look up long suffering look up patience and begin to write those down and say God I'm, I'm ready I'm ready just a little bit don't have to sleep on the porch and fix my husband breakfast after he's been mean but just, just get me through one time when normally I would just immediately uh, go to something. Just, just help me with that first immediate reaction. Then help me get beyond the immediate reaction to actually not reacting and responding in love. And he'll help you. He will. That's what he's there for. God said, yeah, if you, if you love me, then you'll desire to do life my way. But if you desire to do that, don't just run off and do that. I'm sending you a helper. And he'll be in you to help you. And that's what he's doing. That's what we're talking about. Amen. So in James chapter 1, verse 2, praise the Lord. Am I just rambling or are you getting something here? Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2. I love this. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So there's that joy of the Lord, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's a different word. But again, he says this this goes along with the, the patience. And some of them are the same word. Some of them are a little bit different. But this is patient endurance. He said, but let patience have its perfect or its complete work. In other words, as you're being long-suffering and patient, something else is working. Something else is working. Patience habits that you may be complete, lacking nothing. Man, that's something. That there's a test coming, but if I will be patient, if I'll be long-suffering, if I'll endure the test... He said, I'll come out complete, mature, lacking nothing. How many of you like to not lack anything, right? So you say, well, that would be good. I don't think that's what he's talking. Sure it is. He says, and if you lack wisdom, if you lack how, what am I going to apply? What faith am I going to apply to this situation? It says, God will tell you. He'll give to you liberally and not upbraid it if you ask in faith, not wavering. Because a man that wavers is like a man tossed to and fro, double-minded. And so really, in that place of patience, that long-suffering, how, long do, how often do we get double-minded? How, how in that place of waiting do we start to anticipate and say, you know what, maybe I'll take the off-ramp here. Maybe I'll do this different. Maybe I'll take this shortcut. And he says, if you think about that, You're going to be unstable. You're never going to be able to. He says, if you'll stay with me through it. He doesn't say just suffer on your own. He says, yes, there will be some trying. There will be some testing. It will seem like you're suffering, but stay with me, obey me, follow me, walk with me, and we'll come out the other side having defeated the enemy. And what you lacked going into this test, you will not lack coming out of it. And so any test we go into, we're like, oh, my Lord, I might not be up to the test, but he is. And so he says, depending on how much you're up to it, he says, this could take a little bit longer with you than somebody who's a little bit more spiritual. Right? Our willingness to allow him to teach us could get us through that test faster. So your long suffering sometimes is just your attitude your willingness or lack thereof that either gets you through or takes you longer. Praise the Lord. It can be up to us. All right. The next one is kindness, and then we'll 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 do uh, just take a moment. Uh, kindness. Now I like this because this is a shocker to most of us. Galatians chapter five, back at the fruit of the spirit, twenty-two. So he says, long suffering and kindness. Now, listen, this is what kindness is. Most of you are thinking, all right, I'm glad. All that stuff was rough. Now we talk about kindness. <laughs> kindness. Listen to this. This is a, a Greek word, Christotis. I don't speak Greek, but you can look it up. It means usefulness. Mo- usefulness, morally excellent. Say, so wait a minute. Kindness? Yeah, the Greek word used for kindness is to be morally excellent. Now, I'll give you some time to think about it. But listen, if we're living our life morally excellent, we're going to be an example and more helpful to other people in growing than if we're not living morally excellent. So just to help you, you know, morally, you know, there's a sexual immorality but he's not talking about that. He's talking about overall morality. What is morality? Knowing the difference between right and wrong. So if we're doing and knowing what is right and helping people with what's right, we are being kind. Goes on to say kindness shows oneself useful. Useful. So let's just put this together. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he didn't say be kind, but as a pastor, he was telling him some stuff uh, that I believe we can maybe put to practice. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse uh, 20. In a great house, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, in other words, we cleanse ourselves from dishonorable actions, dishonorable attitudes. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master. Prepared for every good work. He said, listen, there's a process developing that actually brings out kindness. So if we're living, we're putting aside things of dishonor, and honor begins to come. We begin to honor. What is that? Value. We begin to esteem others. Now, all of a sudden, from that place, again, of love and esteem, kindness, graciousness, helpfulness, Begins to flow. But if we're doing things wrong, it's very difficult to position ourselves to be useful. If we make excuses for our wrongdoing, which normally when we do that, we're like, I can do wrong if I want. It doesn't matter. No, it's nobody else's business. Which that's not very kind. Especially to people whose business it is. So you can see how just a little twist helps us understand I can get selfish and think it's nobody's business but that's not being very kind and we just get off on a track there then we do things wrong then we get our defenses up we push back and then all of a sudden it starts a terrible uh, downturn to anger and bitterness and offense but when we do what's right we become useful we become helpful we become gracious So kindness really is something that's produced from a moral excellence. And that's a Christ-like life. I know people are like, I'm going back to the old kind of kindness. Just be nice. Right? But a lot of people are trying to be nice and they're wondering like, why can't I be nice to these people? Because they're not allowing the Holy Spirit to bring forth this Christ-likeness. And we're all a work in progress. Aren't you so glad that Paul told the Philippian church that the work that he began in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. That's so cool. He says, I started it. I'll finish it. He says, listen, when you're going to run your race, lay aside the sin and the weight so which so easily besets you, and look unto Jesus, the author And the finisher. So he said, when you gave it to me, I was fully equipped and fully ready to finish in you what I started. If Christ's likeness doesn't come about in our life, it won't be his fault. It'll be our resistance to that. Worship team, you can start getting positioned. So what I wanted to do today I know we've talked about this spiritual life, this living. I just want to have about 10 minutes where we just focus on that. We can come to the altar. We can pray. They're going to just say, sing a song, make room for you. But as they do that, I encourage you to come to the front. There's something about taking a step out. But come and recommit your life pray ask God at the altar where people are in this place what do you want to do I'm I'm ready for a life that's developed I'm ready to give place to the spirit within me to create that transformation from one degree of glory to the next as we dedicate as we consecrate ourselves to that ask him to remind us every day as we're walking through life there's something extraordinary that I believe that we're crossing over into, and it can't be figured out with your mind. It has to be figured out in your heart. It has to be witnessed in prayer to what the Spirit of God is doing. So you can stand up. We're gonna start singing, but as we do, just come to the altar. Let's just spend some time at the altar. Let's spend some time praying. I know I, I've taught. I've talked a little bit more longer than I wanted to, but uh, let's just turn that over just a little bit from just like uh, you know, click your mind over. If you've been listening to what I've been saying, saying, God, I just want this in my life. This is just a great time. Let's just spend some time with him, kind of ruminating, you if you will, uh, soaking in that and, and allow God to say, here's what I want to do in you. Here's how I want to develop this in you. Here's how I want to purify this in you. Here's what I want to do. Let him start talking about what he wants to do in us. To change our life so that he can really, we can move with him and see things really change and minister to others. Amen. Go ahead.
1: i Oh. you. Amen. all. Oh.
0: Hallelujah. We're just going to dismiss tonight. I know some of you have kids. Thank the children's church workers. Praise the Lord. I believe we're going to do more of this. There's a time at the altar that can't really be duplicated. You can't just make it a religious tradition, but things in that place where you bring it to the altar that God begins to speak and do things that are life-changing. And so, you know, you can do that. You can do it at home. There's just sometimes the atmosphere and the change, to really be able to give it all to Him, uh, you know, hearing the Word, being in a place of worship, and then you take that home to the place of prayer, continue to process it, amen? So you can be dismissed. If you want to stay and and just, you know, you're, you're in the middle of something, just go ahead and finish. If people are staying here, kneeling, just go out to the foyer. Uh, you can have conversation and fellowship, but just let them uh, finish if they're in here, amen? You can be dismissed.
1: Love you